Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. This episode is brought to you by Taproot Edmonton, your source for curiosity-driven coverage of our city cultivated by the community. Taproot publishes weekly roundups on a variety of topics, including media, food, tech, health innovation, arts, music, regional news, business, and city council. Taproot's curators gather up the headlines and happenings on those files and deliver them direct to your inbox. You can get one or two for free if you want more. Become a Taproot member. You can get as many as you want, plus other perks for just $10 a month or $100 a year. Get informed right now at Taproot rootedmonton.ca So last episode we made uh, a comment about how we were recording on Christmas Eve. It's true. It was it was a festive recording session of our podcast and here we are now recording on New Year's Eve before pre- the ball drops. Yeah, pre-midnight. And that means that we are in a stitch in time because we are recording this just before the year 2019 comes to a close, but you'll be listening to it as the year 2020 begins. It's true. So, happy new year. We are not at a party because we are parents of a small <laughs> child and we have no life. Basically, yes. But uh, also That's not true. We have a life. Our life just has to end by 9 p.m. <laughs> Uh, but that gives us an opportunity to record the episode, albeit on, on a festive evening, <laughs> but before our other New Year's plans come to fruition. But yeah, that means that uh, Happy New Year to you, our listeners. Thank you for joining us for a full year of reading along. Yeah. We've been, this is our second rolling over a new year with this podcast. Well, that's right. It is. Yeah. Oh, look at us. Look at us still going after all this time. Yay. Indeed. Clinky, everybody. So uh, to get into our recap of chapter five, uh, a very lengthy chapter in which it started out as uh, a fun bonding opportunity in an empty museum. As you do. As Thompson and Owen staked it out waiting for rogue agents to make their move. And when they finally did, they successfully thwarted the terrorist attack. Well, in the museum. In that particular museum. They thwarted one sixteenth of a terrorist plot. <laughs> of a plot. terrorist attack, yeah. And uh, that leads us directly into chapter six of The Municipalists by Seth Freed. So the chapter begins pretty much immediately as uh, chapter five ends off. Uh, Owen and Thompson are still in the park. They uh, approach the police and tell them about the bag of explosives and then try to vacate the area. And it takes a little while because things are chaotic. Well, because the terrorists, uh, either wisely or unwisely, depending on how you look at it, chose to enact their plans during a civic pride parade. That, That was not unintentional. No, it was clearly intentional. I just don't know if it was wise. Um, would... So there are, like, people everywhere. Yeah, no, that that is exactly why it's wise. Uh, the parade has clogged up many of the routes leading to the museums. 
So it delays the emergency response. And as we learn in this chapter a little later, there were other actions that were taken by Kirkland and the rogue agents yes. to further delay the emergency response. Mm -hmm. Their job was to keep the police at bay. Uh, for as long as possible, it seems. The, this is getting a little ahead in the chapter, but we learn that uh, Kirkland's attack was well planned enough that they had the parade blocking up emergency services. They had police cruisers that had been fitted with parking boots in the night, apparently. Yeah, they managed to score a whole bunch of parking boots. There were also rogue agents providing covering fire against efforts to get to the scene until the attack had gone off. So there was a concentrated effort to keep first responders away from the scene as long as possible. Despite that, there were actually very few casualties. And I chalk this also up to the Civic Pride Parade. Well, see, I chalk that up to luck. No, the attack happened fairly early, and it's clear that Metmo was closed at the time. Like, staff wasn't there, it wasn't open to the public when the rogue agents made their move. And that suggests to me the other museums were also likely closed for the Civic Holiday. Yeah, okay. So... Kirkland's aim with this attack wasn't casualties. It wasn't body count. This was a well-orchestrated attack on the city's, well, number one, the city's cultural center. But number two, uh, it was a terrorist attack meant to instill fear, not kill people. Yes, but the more people you have near these cultural centers, the more likely you are to have casualties. And yes, I think he was lucky that there weren't a lot of them. But you want to know what else was going on in the cultural center? Hmm. Because of the parade, there was a large audience for the terror attack. Well, that's one of my questions. Just because you're not targeting the population doesn't mean you don't want explosions near them. You're, if Kirkland's aim so far seems to be to scare people, and he's doing it, but he doesn't seem to be interested in killing people, per se. I think my question is, what is he trying to convey? What message is he trying to send the people of his city? If he wanted to kill people, he would have attacked the parade. Yes. But he did not. No. He specifically chose cultural institutions that were closed, but were nearby. Yes, but he still set off explosions near where people would be. Near-ish to where people would be. Uh, that's still too close for comfort for me. Just saying. Oh, no. <laughs> He's still objectively a terrible person who's done terrible things. But what I'm saying is that... This attack was planned to minimize casualties. That is pretty clear. Because if he had wanted a body count, he would have attacked the parade. No, I know. I know. Again, I, it's clear he's not going after a body count. Now, Thompson certainly is struck with the magnitude of this failure. As far as he's concerned, he's let everybody down. He's even let the memory of his parents down in this moment, he feels. And Owen kind of offers him a, a half-hearted attempt at holographic consolation. <laughs> It doesn't of. really work, and then suggests they go for a drink. And Thompson is 100% for that, despite the fact that he's still probably hung over from the night before. Okay, why is Owen's answer always a drink? I'm a little concerned about this supercomputer. Because Owen's an alcoholic. Yeah, that's why I'm concerned about this alcoholic supercomputer. I'm just saying, a, an AI like him should maybe be smarter than always turning to alcohol. Just saying. He's also sapient and likes to be drunk. Possibly because he's so smart, actually, now that I think about it. There's something to be said about being so intelligent that sometimes you just want to turn it off. And the only way to do that is to effectively hack your brain with alcohol. 
And I suspect that maybe what Owen's kind of doing in that situation, like it's an opportunity to shut out all of the comp, all of the millions and billions of computations per second is to maybe get drunk. Maybe. I'm just saying, I think Owen has a worrying alcohol problem. That's all I'm saying. Whether or not it is a worrying alcohol problem, they are soothing themselves with alcohol in this moment. It's very true. And they head over to a sports bar where no one's really drinking except for them. Everyone's just kind of glued to the news because a major terrorist attack is just Standing around holding their drinks, watching the TV, yeah. This is the point where we get a little more information about what the media's managed to dredge up about this terror attack, although they still don't know who is responsible for it because Kirkland's not made any sort of public statement or uh, released a manifesto yeah, of any sort. Yeah, the, the general populace has no idea. What's going on. What's going on. And we the, know what's going on because we're following Thompson and Owen around. Yeah, and the few bodies that they've turned up uh, have been unidentifiable because, of course, they've burned off their fingerprints and removed all their teeth. Right? So. Uh, it's so creepy. And again, this is this is weaponized bureaucracy. Up until... A few months ago, these were all faceless us miss bureaucrats. So it makes sense that people don't really know who they are. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're even further, uh, quote unquote, faceless now because they don't have fingerprints or dental records. Yeah, because they purposefully tried to make themselves unidentifiable. The mayor and the governor hold a joint news conference in fairly short order. And, uh, of course, the National Guard also quickly arrives on scene to help restore and maintain order in the uh, wake of the calamity that has befallen the city and thompson actually starts to get worried at this because he realizes like so far with the exception of them foiling the attack at metmo and them not being murdered upon arriving in town kirkland's plan has more or less been going off like clockwork and it's clear that it's been fairly well masterminded. Well, at the very least, Thompson has not been able to throw a monkey wrench into the works. Not, not a significant one. Not a Yeah, not a big enough one to make him feel like he's accomplished anything. But that means that Kirkland has to anticipate this very by-the-books response. Like, of course the National Guard was called in to help the emergency relief situation and to help maintain order in the wake of it. Well, yeah, because that's protocol. And so that, to him, means that this is like... We're stepping into the next phase of Kirkland's plan at this point, and the city is unaware of that fact, which means Kirkland must be about to escalate things further. Because if Kirkland's goal is to terrorize the city, he can't let the city have a moment to breathe or any opportunity to get a false sense of security. So that means that almost certainly there must be another attack imminent. Or something is happening, yeah. Uh, While Thompson is dealing with that, Owen seems to be more focused on the loss of history, actually, which Thompson is a little surprised by. Owen seems legit put off at the huge loss to human culture that just occurred. Yeah, because it's a huge loss of culture. (laughs) Yeah. Like, when an art museum burns down, like, that's a... That's a tragedy. Well, and it wasn't just an art museum that no, burned down in this but case. No, I know, but if just one had gone down, it would be a tragedy, but lots of them have gone down. Yeah. Uh, history, fine arts, uh, I think there's a science center that went down. There was also, uh, it specifically, it mentioned like a, f- uh, a film museum. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. That's quite the hit. But the, the museum that Thompson is most hit by, unsurprisingly, is the Metro Museum, the museum that he intended to go and visit. Yeah. When he first arrived in town, because it means that, number one, the the steel beetle he wanted to go and check out what is buried under rubble. Yes. And, and probably 
possibly, yeah, possibly completely destroyed. And while he's like, that's not the last of that particular model of locomotive in existence. There will be an opportunity for me to perhaps see one again in the future. There were one of a kind, like last models yeah, of trains there. Exactly. There were, and they're gone forever. There were like legitimate like relics and artifacts of of like rail history. Yeah, and he's aware and that hurts him a lot. And he's aware that he's one of the few people in the world who would Care. truly mourn that loss. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting his philosophy on that because he's like, you know, you go to an art museum or you go to uh, like a film museum, two of the museums that we mentioned, and you see this uh, all these great cultural works, all these great artistic works, and they're impressive and grand. But then you go to like a, a cultural history museum or a tech museum or in this case, the Metro Museum, and you see works that are just as meaningful, but are not as lauded. They're the works of less famous people, but yes. have had still as much cultural impact. Yeah, just people don't necessarily know that. And don't necessarily recognize that this is the stuff that has impacted them day to day yeah. more than a Rembrandt or a Picasso is going right? to. Right, the kind of thing that you would take for granted because it's surprisingly common nowadays. As they discuss this loss, Thompson wonders aloud if they should maybe get in touch with Garrett at this juncture. And Owen shuts that down right away. He's like, no, we do not want to... <laughs> talk to him about the bad news a it will make you feel worse yes b we're not done yet and and c we're not helping the situation no. by reporting our failures Correct. let's wait until we have some good news and then we'll get in touch with garrett and thompson kind of agrees and with that they do decide to toast the one silver lining the surviving metmo <laughs> and uh owen Cracks a little inside joke to lighten the mood, and the two burst into laughter because the tension breaks finally. And that gets them promptly thrown out of the yeah. bar. Because people are in there to feel bad about the terror attack. Right. And they're they're still they're still in awe of the horror, and these two guys are killing themselves over in one of the booths in the bar, and it just seems like wildly inappropriate. Yeah. Even even though that's just kind of them coping with the situation at that moment. This is it's it's kind of like uh, uh, cute aggression. Have you ever seen something uh, super adorable and you just want to squeeze it and squish it? That's cute aggression. And basically, what's happening in your brain is cute is really overwhelming, and so your brain applies uh, aggression on the back end to bring you back to equal. There you go. That's your it's your normalization. Um, it's a super simplified version of it, but it is a real thing. You can look it up on the internet. There are there are studies, and basically that's what's happening. They've been through something horrific, and so to equalize themselves, something is now hysterically funny. Oh yeah, and that I mean, and then they're a, just going to come back to that's, to even again. That's a coping mechanism for a lot of people. Oh, it absolutely to is. Crack inappropriate or black jokes in what would seem to be a wildly inappropriate moment, but that's them trying to step out of the horror yeah. and and find their way back to neutral. Yeah. No, I, I get that. Yeah. As they get out of the bar, Thompson suggests, well, if we're not going to contact Garrett, maybe we should contact the FBI. Like, we can at least put them on, on Kirkland's tail. And Owen's like, with what evidence, my man? Yeah, we're we're here on a on a hunch, and we can't prove anything. Yeah, even if we were to give them what I recorded of our interaction with the rogue agents at Metmo, because of course Owen's recording everything. Of course he is. Like, they never mentioned Kirkland's name. Nope. We were also there and acting super suspicious. Yep. So, 
how are we going to help save the city while we're being detained by the feds? Yep, Owen again is looking like at the slightly larger picture. Yeah, Owen Owen <laughs> at least has a bigger the per- picture than Thompson. Yeah, Owen has the perspective of the moment and he's like, "Listen, while we've been drinking our faces off, I've been trying to solve this problem and I don't have a solution at the moment. So let's just focus up and we'll figure out what to do." And then Owen starts throwing up code. <laughs> okay. So the question I wrote in my notes was what matter of programming does he have that allows him, a hologram, to vomit code? Now, I actually put some thought into that, and I have some oh, headcanon. I'm glad you did. Please I, hit me I with your headcanon. I have some headcanon. I think that it is a visual representation of him trying to expunge the junk code so that he can sober himself up. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Like, he's he realizes, I've had too much to drink, and we need to focus up now, so I need to sober up. So I need to get rid of all of this, all of these junk algorithms that I've been drinking. And it's just it, because he's a hologram, it's a visual representation of that. Yeah. And I it just guess. looks like he's throwing up code, like strings of green binary. <laughs> well, yeah, which is what he's doing. Yeah. I, I imagined it looked kind of like the Matrix. But yeah, except. A little more green. And splotchy. Yeah. But then it disappears because. Because it's a hologram. It's all hologram. So where did the sea shanty come from? Oh, that came from him being drunk. Oh, all right then. Because he is still actually inebriated. But the sea shanty, while a funny moment, also gives Thompson his eureka moment. Yes, in his somewhat drunken stupor. Although he's probably not quite as drunk as Owen. Maybe he is. Who knows? The point is, Thompson has a an idea, right? I want to call it a streak of genius, but that's not quite what it is. Uh, well, it, it, has, it is a eureka moment. He is inspired. Moment. Yeah, he does yeah. have a eureka moment. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, because part of the sea shanty is about the blonde-haired woman back at home. Yes. And that makes Thompson go, oh, Kirkland is still in the city somewhere, obviously, because he's directing this. And that means Sarah Laurie must be also somewhere in town. If we can locate her, that might give us some leverage on Kirkland. And that's kind of where the chapter ends off. No, that's exactly where the chapter ends off. Yeah. But here's my addendum to that. Okay. That I'm going to bring up at this time. Addend away. Like, Sarah Laurie is the mastermind behind this, right? Oh, it's entirely possible. I don't think it's entirely possible. I think it is 100% likely. You think that Kirkland is the red herring? I think Kirkland is her pawn. Okay. I think that Sarah Laurie, who we know is Sharp as a tack, smart as a whip, and ultra charismatic. She's the darling of the city. Everyone is convinced that the evil Terrence Kirkland kidnapped her, despite the fact that she publicly said, hey, I ran off with this guy of my own volition. Don't come looking for us. They're all still mourning her loss, like everyone's wearing a white ribbon for Sarah. (laughs) In the meantime, we also know that she had developed political views that were starting to clash with her father. I think. I think that her political views started to veer wildly away from the norm, that she seduced Terrence Kirkland because he had the know-how and the infrastructure necessary to enact her plans. Mm-hmm. That through well, Kirkland- right at the top of the power pyramid in that city. Right? Yep. Uh, through Kirkland, she was able to radicalize his uh, USMIS agents and turn them into basically a terrorist cell or a cult of personality. And she is using them to forward her political agenda. Okay. I think Kirkland is in charge only in as much as Sarah is actually in charge of him. <laughs> only, yeah, only as much as she is the one pulling the strings. Yes. Gotcha. 
No, and, I, I can and, see it. I can and, totally see it. And the other thing is that because she's the beautiful, likable, innocent woman who was kidnapped by the evil Terrence Kirkland, that also gives her plausible deniability. Because Should I just, she ever need it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. she's a step removed. And in, in the end, she can just be like, oh, Terrence Kirkland did kidnap me. Oh, and poor at, me. Oh. And meantime, all of my plans have come to fruition. And she can just throw him, discard him or throw him under the bus as necessary. Yeah, it's possible. And if she has him completely wrapped around her finger, like she's clearly the rest of the Usmus agents in town, the rogue agents, are all a thousand percent in on whatever her plan is and are willing to die for it. Oh. And that means that Kirkland is probably also a hundred percent radicalized and willing to die for her. There was, if there my was theory, some brainwashing going yeah, on if, for sure. If my theory is correct. So I think I think Sarah Laurie is the mastermind. No, it's I, I could see it. It's it's absolutely possible. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because Kirkland is obviously the bad guy, but Sarah Laurie's been kind of lurking in the underbrush of the story so far. Mm, a little bit. But I think that it makes for, like, not to say that Kirkland hasn't been described as capable, but Sarah Laurie has been really built up as super capable. And I think that it's within her capabilities to subvert and win over the local Usmus agency. And turn it towards her purposes. Oh, no, I still agree with you. Through Terrence Kirkland. So you stop trying to convince me. I'm I'm on board. Okay. Your your plan your your idea, your theory is very, very possible. I I mean obviously we haven't read ahead, so no. we don't know if I'm we'll correct. find out if this, you're right. Let's let's put it this way. Follow me for a moment through this door. I've gathered you all here in the accusing parlor. Zacchaeus. <laughs> and now we stand here. I'm flicking on the light of the accusing parlor just so I can, just before the end of this episode, go, Sarah Laurie, Jacques. I think you are the mastermind behind this terrorist plot. And uh, we will have to see if this was wild, irresponsible accusations. Hey, we are so good at wild and irresponsible accusations around here. It's what we do best. So with that possibly wild and irresponsible speculation, uh, we will uh, wrap it up here so that we can go upstairs and uh, enjoy the final minutes of 2019 and ring in the new year. And then go to bed and then probably very tired. Because we are the parents of a toddler. <laughs> um, and uh, assuming that the book continues in the rhythm that it's been going through, we can presume that maybe the next chapter will be a longer one. But hey, that's okay. You've got a week to read up on chapter seven. Yep. Or longer. It's a podcast. You listen whenever you want. It's true. We're not the boss of you. No, we're, we're really not. Uh, but we will wish you uh, a happy new year. Yes. And, happy uh, 2020, everybody. Yeah. And uh, if you are local to Edmonton, um, we're just entering into the last couple weeks of a, a very exciting and very good exhibition that is currently going on at the TELUS World of Science. And uh, Anita, I think you have a little more to say about that. I do. I have a little blurb to read on it. This episode of The Read Along is brought to you by TELUS World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition runs until February 17th. Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. There might be more, but we don't know yet. It features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements to bring the Marvel Universe to life. See rare, hand-drawn images of iconic heroes such as Spider-Man, Black Panther, and Captain America. So you can buy your tickets today at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. That's tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. Yeah, and uh, I got in on a little sneak preview of that exhibition 
uh, just when it came into town. I know. I was super jealous. <laughs> a lot of people were super jealous. And let me just say, uh, it was really, really good. And if you're a fan of the comics, if you're a fan of the movies, even if you're just a fan of comic books in general, if you're like more of a DC fan or an indie fan, it is still a, a fascinating look into the history of Marvel Comics and uh, a look at a ton of great art and movie artifacts. It's really cool. They even put in a little CanCon for us yeah. as, they, as they came up to Edmonton. That's uh, that's actually true. They originally toured in the States, but when they came up to Edmonton, they added a thing on Alpha Flight and a little bit of history on Canadian comics, which, yeah. which is kind of cool. So. Makes me feel makes me feel special. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's got a couple of weeks left. so uh. Yeah, you've got a month and a half, give or take. While you're checking that out, you can, of course, check us out further on the internet. Yes. Uh, via social media. We have a, the standard collection, the, the ones I say every time. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We're at The Read Along at Everywhere But Goodreads, where we're just The Read Along. Yeah. You can just look for us there. Uh, you can send us an email if you want more characters than social media usually allows. Yeah, that's thereadalong at gmail.com. We are always happy to hear from you. For sure. And we'd like to hear from more of you in 2020. Your New Year's resolution for 2020 is to send something nice to The Read Along. Uh, yeah, interact with us on, on uh, Twitter or what have you or Facebook we just like knowing you're out there we're very happy to uh, to chat with you absolutely and uh, exchange pleasantries so uh, feel free to do that and uh, while you think about doing that we will also as always see you in the new year happy new year everybody Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. to gam with you <laughs> yes gam is that a thing i have no idea i was oh, gonna ask you what that it. was i suppose gam is like dancing or legs legs thing because mermaid's, mermaid's got, got no, no gams, gams. <laughs> <laughs> we're <laughs>